It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to the last May edition of the PFF forecast for 2023. It is May 29th. It is a beautiful Monday, um, usually Sunday evening, but because of the long weekend, we're doing Monday evening, Memorial Day, uh, about just under 50 minutes uh, before, or about 65 minutes, I should say, before the Game 7 tip. So we will talk a little bit about Game 7, uh, but we're going to do some, I've uh, got some passing yardage props and over-unders on FanDuel. We're going to hit those, got a little Jimmy G conversation, um, what's going on over there, and then a little new confidence finally released. Um, so there will be uh, a team that picks them up that is not the Arizona Cardinals this year. So it'd be um, interesting to talk about with Judah and Brad. It'd be a great podcast. Let's rock. It's nice of you to wear Sunday red on Monday and to do so from a skin uh, color perspective as well. We appreciate that. Yeah, just, just full lobster. I don't know if it shows up in the arms as well, but you know, always rocking. Look, Tiger's on the, on the injured list. I'm stepping up in any way I can. What, what happened? Was it a, I forgot sunscreen or was it a, I wore sunscreen, but it didn't matter situation. It's a classic. I had brought it. I had it, but was, you know, Martha's Vineyard was probably like 60, 65 degrees and it had a nice breeze. You didn't feel the sun. Mm-hmm. And it's the classic, like, oh, I probably don't need to put on that much. It's not a big deal. And then you come home at the end of the day and you're just bright red. So I'm an idiot is the answer to the question. Have either of you two ever had like such a bad sunburn that you like couldn't like sleep or function? Is that around one time in college? Yes. <laughs> I, I, mine happened after college. I was uh, teaching in New York to teach for America after school. And I'm, I'm in New York. I come back to LA to visit. And it was like a, a decently nice day. It's probably 70 degrees outside. And I was like, I'm getting a tan no matter what. I go out to the, to the beach. It's like my spring break. And it's like windy to your point, like windy and not that warm. I'm like, oh, I'll be, be fine. I don't need sunscreen. I've lived in Southern California for, for years. I'm good. And my, I like fell asleep with my back like facing the sun and I could not, I could not do anything. I was like crying in pain in, in the shower and there was like nothing I could do. It was, it was the worst. It was such horrible pain. And you know what I did to, uh, to cure myself? I, I didn't really cure me, but, um, aloe vera didn't work. I put, um, like peppermint extract on my skin and it like opens the pores and like apparently lets heat out. And so I just smelled like a huge candy cane for like three days on my spring break is all. You were just exuding heat out of your pores for days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and smelled and smelled awful. And, and the, um, yeah, the worst thing was that I was, um, I was there like visiting, but I was also staying with my current girlfriend um, at her place, but we were like just new, newly dating or like, I don't know if we even started dating at that point. So I was like, very, very embarrassed. Anyways, that is uh, that is my sunburn story for for all the good people out there. So wear sunscreen, I guess is the uh, is the uh, message. Um, let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, the Jimmy G stuff. So, Brad, can you? I mean, there was this. Remember, we talked about it when he supposedly, you know, he failed the physical. There are a lot of things that I'm not sure really add up. Um, we remember him getting hurt in San Francisco, obviously, and then. The uh, NFC Championship game comes around, and there was some talk that if they'd made the Super Bowl, 
you know, he was going to be available to play some players pushing for him even to, to be active for that game. And then now there's this like kind of whole new thing that's coming up with the Raiders. Now he might never play there. So if you could kind of, you know, uh, correct us on this and tell us exactly kind of what's happening um, and what the ramifications might be. Yeah. So first at the outset, when we had that show with Seth and we were talking about how they had not had the introductory press conference yet, and it was kind of strange. His details had not come through the wire yet for his contract. And we were all kind of wondering what the situation was. We speculated maybe he'd failed his physical. I'm not sure they outright denied that, but they definitely you know, waited a couple of days. They still did everything. It turns out he did. He he failed his physical in March. So they changed the terms of his contract to where instead of there being a signing bonus, there is no signing bonus. It's all salary. The, the total value of the deal is still the same. There's also an injury waiver, which is actually pretty common um, in NFL contracts, where it essentially says, I'm guessing, I've not read his yet. Uh, a report tweeted it, so I probably should have, but I, you know, I was on vacation. So anyway, um, essentially what he usually says is, no, I'm sure it's what it says. Basically, like this injury in particular, if if we if he re-injures his foot, then we're not yes. on the hook for these guarantees or injury guarantees, stuff like that. It's very, very common. We'll say we'll sign this guy, but we know he's torn his ACL. If he hurts his ankle on his other leg, we owe him injury guarantees. If he hurts this knee, we've we've essentially written in a carve out in this contract saying we are not on the hook for injury guarantees if it's this same injury. So probably the same situation. Here's where it gets like the whole funny back and forth for folks didn't see between Mike Florio um, and Jason Fitzgerald over the cap.com. This has been out for a while. Jason had a podcast talking about it in March. Uh, and now Florio, I guess, is upset because Ian Rappaport claimed it was, I don't know, his scoop. Who knows? Whatever. Anyway, um, it's not a huge deal. Florio tried to make it seem like they're going to cut him tomorrow and that he's done in, in Las Vegas. He's done in Las Vegas. He's never going to play for them. It means none of those things. They went ahead. They signed the contract. Yes, the terms are not as, as they initially were planned to be, um, but I, I don't think it's this massive deal. Like I said, it's very standard. It's obviously not super standard for a you know franchise quarterback or whatever you want to call him, um, but but it's not this like crazy anomaly that that should lead to conspiracy theories, um, you know, as it did. I mean, I have conspiracy theories. I'm not a top five conspiracy theorist like Mike Florio is per Howie Roseman, maybe one day. <laughs> We'll get to that. Um, but as Elon Musk said, you know, some conspiracy theories turn out to be true. So I will be here to provide them um, for us here in a second. I just have one question though on that. You, you mentioned the the carve out and what was written in. It's exactly, I did actually read it because I didn't do anything that, that special on Memorial Day weekend. And it is specific to the injury in his foot that, you know, is, is keeping him um, on the sidelines at the moment. But one thing that I thought was interesting, so he got a set, did he get a second surgery or did he not get the surgery until he signed? Can you explain that part? That's what I want to talk about. So I'm very glad you get that follow-up question. Yes. So this happens very, very often to where a player will finish a season and they'll know they have an injury, but they probably think you can go in somewhere, get signed and pass a physical because I don't think it's the most strenuous of tests. I think, you know, doctor looks at you, no. you get x-rays, all those type of things. I think you'd maybe go through you know, a very standard, uh, you know, scan of your body. Obviously, sometimes it catches cancer like a That's foster Moreau, but yeah, right, right. But I don't think they're making him like do jumping jacks in the office or anything like that. So it does create a weird dichotomy to where a player might say, yeah, surgery can get me back faster probably, but if I get the surgery now, then I'm certainly not passing a physical anytime soon. And then teams will wait on me and won't sign me until, you know, May, June, whatever. So, no, I don't think it was a second procedure. I think he got nothing done and was basically just hoping to sign first and then get the procedure. Not not in a sneaky way. Um, and I guess maybe just maybe it was even worse than expected or I don't, I don't know what the exact specifics were but it, it does always create a difficult situation for players um you know do you do it do you do it right away or do you wait and then do it after you actually get signed yeah it's interesting what, what do you make of this whole thing judah is this is this the off season we have nothing to talk about so we're gonna talk about this or is this something yeah no i think it, it's more it's the off season we have uh, nothing really to talk about. And honestly, it's something we've brought up, I think now on like three straight pods, which is like talking about the, the stated preference versus the revealed preference, or the stated preference, the thing you say you do versus the revealed preference, the thing you actually do. 
if the Raiders knew in March that Jimmy G was really hurt, wouldn't you think they'd sign a quarterback maybe or draft a quarterback maybe? Do you think they would re-sign Josh Jacobs? Like, this is not a team uh, that's just going to, like, move on Jimmy Garoppolo, like Mike Florida is suggesting uh, on the spot. He's their quarterback right now, I think, uh, borrowing something crazy that none of us know about. Uh, it seems to me like a, an off-season story. The Raiders have are planning on having Jimmy Garoppolo as their starting quarterback. Yeah, maybe maybe the Raiders are, but I wonder if if their new uh, owner is. And um, I mean, we talked about this uh, was it last week or the week before when you know Brady is now a minority owner uh, of the Raiders. He ought, you know he just played last season. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for him to pull a little MJ, you know, be an owner slash player of team like MJ was with the Wizards. I think the difference is. Brady probably has a little more in the tank than, than Jordan did at the end of his career. And the Raiders uh, maybe I think have to, no, they have to be because the wizards were terrible, but you know, have some players there, right. They have Devonte Adams um, and uh, Hunter Renfro and, you know, a couple of pass rushers. So it's not like completely devoid of talent. So I'm looking here at, at the AFC conference uh, champion at 45 to one, the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm tempted. I am definitely tempted by it because I, not that it's something that was planned out and this was like something that was thought through, like maybe some people are purporting it to be, but these all, these things just provide an opportunity. So it's something that Brady may look at and provides an opportunity for him that maybe wasn't there if they were, you know, if they were paying Garoppolo, they guaranteed him some subset of money. I would argue that it doesn't even really matter, <laughs> right? If Brady like wanted to come back and play, I think that would make a ton of sense and you know, that he could just come back and, and play for the Raiders. Uh, I don't know that that would push them over the top. Certainly um, the, the chiefs are, would still be favored. I think um, probably pretty heavily um, in the, uh, in the AFC West, but uh, would be a hell of a lot better than, than my Lord and savior, Jimmy G. So that's my conspiracy theory. Um, does it have a one in 45 uh, chance to happen? I don't know. You guys tell me. I mean, look, until until Brady is 60 years old, uh, there's going to be conspiracy theories that are probably loosely warranted. So I think I think the owners, the other owners have to allow him to play for the Raiders. But hey, that probably just makes that wow. makes probably makes them more money. So why not? Yeah, I can't imagine. Can you imagine that conversation uh, calling up Mark Davis? Hey, Mark, um, sorry to, to bother you in the middle of your P.F. Chang's meal but um i'm thinking of coming back and playing so uh how do you feel about that i mean it, they'd be ecstatic about it obviously uh, the other interesting piece is whether um you know if if they decided to move away from jimmy so they could basically cut him for like nothing is that is that Did the nothing. deal yeah. yep um if he if they cut him tomorrow how long would it take for a team to sign up uh i mean uh, the question is, like, as a starter, I'm not sure there's a job available. Maybe it's Washington tries to convince him or something. I don't know. But I think there's teams around the NFL. Like the, the Jets probably bring him as a backup. Like, you probably could could have some answers there. But I don't know about starter. Am, am I missing anyone, Judah? Atlanta? No. I don't, know. Yeah, I, don't, I don't see anyone doing that at this stage. But also, like, all this information is known. You know, like, mm -hmm. uh, the, the Raiders can – just to, to tie back to that conversation uh like the Raiders know exactly what they're getting into I just don't I don't foresee them cutting him like they made this deal with the full knowledge nothing new has happened since March the San Francisco 49ers uh have to be sitting I mean I I know that that Shanahan talks up Sam Donald like he's the second coming but I would I would think if he was back out there he'd be at a huge discount and I, I could start I mean the Niners are the ones that that make the most sense um you know Oh, that's true. They they could be in a really bad spot if if all these guys suck slash are injured. Um, one of the reasons that that we bring up Jimmy G is that on FanDuel you can find um, season long passing yardage totals um, over unders for every quarterback except Jimmy G. He's not on there, um, but there are uh, over unders for a lot of quarterbacks. Before the podcast, we were talking about the rookies. 
uh, because Brad, we discussed this a few podcasts ago when they got released on DraftKings. And what did you say, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are, are? We got them at under like thirty-eight, and it, these are thirty-three and thirty-two respectively for Bryce Young and CJ. I think Stroud. we bet thirty-eight seventy-five was I think the bet we placed on the under Bryce Young, and I think Stroud was thirty-seven hundred, and they're, they're both five hundred yards less on uh, on FanDuel. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. I mean the. I almost feel bad for the people that have to to put these markets up and, and hang them up because they, you know, it's not like there's one person that's like, Hey, you get, you know, season long passing yard. It's like, Hey, you're going to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And you've got a bunch of stuff to do and you've got to kind of put these markets up there. And then the only people that are really going to bet them are people like us who tear them apart. And, you know, the average Joe is out there betting, you know, same game parlays on overs uh, left, right, and center. So I do have a little bit of, of sympathy for them. Um, let's talk about a few that we like though, because um both Judah, you and and Brad have already bet a couple thus far. Judah, let's start with you. Yeah. Uh, I start with Trevor Lawrence at what was uh Bryce Young's uh passing prop at 3875. I'm gonna take the over here. Lawrence threw for four thousand yards last year. Uh we've spoken at length about uh Calvin Ridley coming back, and we think he actually might have a, an influence on this passing game. I even just posted a chart on Twitter. Uh the man has absolutely destroyed zone coverage. Uh, in his time, we shouldn't forget just how dominant he was. Uh, but again, it's all about like expectation here, which is like the Jaguars are going to be a pretty good team. Certainly uh, one that's probably more competitive uh, than they were in the first half of last year. And Lawrence still threw for 4,000 yards. Uh, I think this is going to be an elite offense. We've talked about how good he is from a clean pocket, uh, especially over the second half of the year. He's just a really good quarterback. And I think he's materially mispriced uh, as a guy who's kind of in like the, the 10 to 12 range. Um, the second one I like, uh, and this uh, is something we've also spoken about, which is the Anthony Richardson prop at 2,700. I like the under here uh, because I don't think Anthony Richardson is starting week one. Uh, I actually think he's probably going to start week five or week six. We've talked about how, you know, Sanchez has brought his guy with Gardner Minshew in there. I don't think the plan is for the Colts to compete this year. I think they see it as a development year. Uh, and even if they do uh, start him early on, I see this more as like a Justin Fields offense early which is a lot of running protecting the quarterback using a bunch of quarterback runs and that does not see a bunch of uh, attempts for the quarterback or even if anthony richardson uh kind of impresses i think the expectations are so low uh that I, i'm still taking the under yeah i like those a lot brad what about you yep so the trevor lawrence one i like as well and it ties into my thought here is Jacksonville's defense didn't get better this offseason. You probably could argue with the loss of some of the guys in free agency, it may have gotten worse. Um, their draft is not going to materially change their defense either. Detroit's defense did get a little bit better. We've talked, of course, about some of the signings they've made on, in the secondary in particular, but I still think it's going to be a below-average NFL defense. So um, you have Jared Goff at the same number as Trevor Lawrence, 38-75. Um, and a half on the over under there. He threw for 4,400 something yards last year. Um, yeah, James Williams is now suspended for six games for, for betting, but he'll still play more games in 2023 than he did in 2022. Maybe break off some, you know, super long gains and added those numbers. And, and, and look, I know we have them to win their division. It's bad, but I still think they're going to be playing in some high scoring games. They're probably going to, you know, not have safe leads a ton. I don't think they're that good. I think they're just, you know, not bad. And the conference is largely bad. So a healthy Jared Goff, I think, comfortably goes over that number again. Yeah. I like that. I'll add one more, uh, which is uh, the same logic we used for Geno Smith last week uh, to lead the NFL in passing yards, I think is equally true of a 3,800 prop. I mean, the dude threw for 4,200 yards last year, 4,300 yards last year. I think this is a team that has signaled that they're going to pass the ball more, uh, right? Drafting a wide receiver in the first round. Uh, I just think the number is is far too off. This is a team that should be passing more than they were last year, not less. Yeah, it's a good one. There are a couple that that um, that are interesting. One that I really like, and then one that I want to talk to you guys about for uh, placing. The one that I I really like is, is Dak Prescott. Uh, his total thirty nine twenty five and a half. Um, so let's just take a look at, at what Dak Prescott has done in, in the last full season that he played. Um, he had 44-49. Um, he obviously did not play a full complement of games last season. In 2019, uh, the year he played uh, a full season before uh, the 2021 season, he had 4,900 yards. So I think that the thought here is obviously that Mike McCarthy is going to run the crap out of the ball. 
But I think that shaving off, say, 500 or more yards from Dak Prescott's passing to- yardage totals it is, as we've talked about on this, I'm not sure the result of what uh, Mike McCarthy is actually going to do. Because um, here's a couple of ways that it could play out. One is that it's all smoke, as we've talked about, and that they, they really haven't invested in a workhorse running back. They have Tony Pollard who's coming off an injury, and you're not giving him 30 carries game. So uh, what they have actually invested in is Brandon Cooks, and he's a receiver, and you're not going to line him up in the backfield. So that really leads to actually more passing for Dak Prescott. But here's the other way, guys, which is let's say that we're wrong. And like Mike McCarthy comes out there, he's like, let's run Tony Pollard into the ground. Well, he's going to run Tony Pollard into the ground. And then they're going to be losing. And then Dak Prescott is going to have to throw the ball. So like this is, you know, it sort of comes down to like, do you think Dak Prescott is going to be an efficient quarterback with great receivers? And it's like, the answer is yes. So uh, I really like the, the over 39 to five and a half there for Dak Prescott. Um, the other one that I thought was really interesting is uh, Lamar Jackson. So his uh, prop out here at FanDuel is 3,500 and a half. Now, this is the opposite um, adjustment by, by the book. So um, he's never played more than 15 games. Uh, but in those years where he's had 15 starts, he's thrown for 27, uh, 57 and 31, 27, respectively. So this would be saying he's going to play basically an entire complement of games, um, which he has not done in his entire career. He's played 12 games each of the past two seasons. Um, and that he is also going to in, improve his efficiency. Now, I think that could be a long-term result for Lamar Jackson, but I am inclined. I think it's easy to say, oh yeah, that the efficiency is going to increase right away. He's got better receivers. Like let's pump the brakes on the better receivers. Like o- OBJ has to be on the field. Other than that, the receivers still stink. It's a new offense. Uh, I, I'm interested to see how that works. I think under 35 and a half is like, a fairly sharp bet, but I I don't want to play support talking to you guys. What do you guys think? I'm guessing some of the thought here is the the transition to Todd Munkin, which does kind of scare me a little bit. Just you're bringing in a, sure. a, a offensive coordinator that wants to throw the ball a lot more. Like you said, I think that, you know, like it's probably also an upward adjustment out of Junior that probably should not be there. So it's kind of scare me because probably they come out and kind of sling it early on. Um, and, and then you're a little nervous there. So I'll real quick, I'll jump in with my favorite under. I think Jordan Love at 3,400 3, yards is pretty darn bullish. Um, in an offense where, I mean, Rodgers, you know, ignore last year we missed some games, but his MVP season in 2021 at 4,100 passing yards. I guess, yes, one game less, but that is the so efficient you're the MVP level of passing yards. And on a team that Matt LaFleur wants to run the football, play defense, all they do is invest all their resources over and over and over again on defense. Maybe eventually it'll actually be good. Um, and, and Joe Barry can actually coordinate a, a competent unit for a change, but that could the offensive side, your receivers for a quarterback who has never played is going to be sophomore Christian Watson, sophomore Romeo Dobbs, and rookie Jaden Reed is your top three receivers um, with an offensive line that, yeah, has some good players that have dealt with injuries. And, and then I just like, yeah, they're, they're just, they're gonna, I think they're going to play a very slow. We talked a little bit about Judah when you were talking about the most passing yards. Um, maybe it's a Rodgers thing, maybe it's a LaFleur thing. They're one of the slowest pace of play teams in the entire NFL. I just think it's this very bullish number. He's right in line with a lot of like, you know, I mean, yes, Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson are kind of for a different reason, but 3,400 is in line with a lot of good quarterbacks, uh, you know, with Jordan Love. Judah, what do you think about the Lamar um, 3,500? Yeah, I share many of Brad's concerns uh, just about the nature of the passing game. Like, I think Greg Roman designs a bunch of quarterback runs that are now going to be passes. And I think, again, like, I don't really care so much about what people say so much. Like, look at the moves they made. And like, they're clearly investing in wide receiver. Uh, this is a team that's like, they're going to throw the ball a lot more. Uh, I'm not betting either side though. Cause I don't also don't trust that Lamar Jackson can stay healthy. Uh, and I still think it's a huge leap. We have no idea how efficient he'll be without the uh, running game at his side. Uh, mm-hmm. I honestly don't, don't hate uh, kind of using a, a different market uh, as a way to kind of express like, a, a Todd Monaghan take, which is like looking at the, this is something we were talking about pre-show, the most regular season quarterback total rushing yards also available on FanDuel, which is like they're pressing in Lamar Jackson for his past production, maybe building in a little bit of a injury risk. Um, I see this as like a, a clear Justin Fields bet 
uh, expressing kind of the same conviction of uh, which is my answer to your question about Tom Monaghan. Like, I think they're going to pass the ball more uh, and they're going to run. That's the only thing I'm really confident in. And that leaves a huge mispricing for Justin Fields, whom I think the Bears will design as they did starting like week seven last year on offense entirely around Justin Fields' rushing game. Uh, you kind of see teams that one is leaning directly into the quarterback running and the other, uh, I think, away from it. Yeah, the, by the way, that market, uh, Justin Fields is two to one. Lamar Jackson plus 250. Jalen Hurts plus 350. Anthony Richardson plus 450. Josh Allen is 10 to 1. Daniel Jones 14 to 1. Mahomes 40 to 1. Chino Smith is 60 to 1. Um, I, I agree. That's a that's a good place to, I think, place that bet. I am nervous about the efficiency of that offense. I think it's going to be a dramatic change. And while I have some faith in Todd Munkin, I I I want to see it first, I guess. Um, and I would say that in you know, they're trying to be competitive this year, right? This is not like a kind of you know, sort of wait and see thing. And I could see them coming out and throwing the ball a lot to begin with. It not working out particularly well. And them going, okay, well, we've got to have some Lamar Jackson runs. And I could see that happening before the regular season starts. Like I can see them coming out there, kind of install some of this stuff and, and you know, Harbaugh going, man, that just doesn't look <laughs> quite how I want it to look. Let's let's make sure that we're a little more balanced to start. Let's let's wean him onto this. Now let's wean this team onto this as opposed to kind of going all out. Um, because it is an interesting thing to just kind of say, hey, we're gonna take Lamar Jackson. If you put um kind of the special talents within the NFL up there and, and kind of say which ones are the most unique, I would say like Lamar Jackson's rushing ability is up there. And so the idea that they're just going to kind of take it away, I, I think is is just ridiculous because so much of that opens up as efficiency as a passer, right? So they, they need to keep that threat. And if they get rid of it and he is just a pure drop back passer, um, it, it's kind of neutering what I think is one of the more unique aspects of a, of a football player. It's a for very him and fields. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Judy. Okay, you, you go. You go. I was going to say for him and fields, what I think and fields, the, the argument is more DJ Moore, not like the coaching or anything, but does an increase in passing and focusing on passing and dropping back, could they just scramble more and pick up chunk yardage on a lot more scrambles? And does that kind of counterbalance the lack of purely designed runs? With Fields, I think we are going to see that. I think there are, I agree with you, they're still going to design a lot around him. But, you know, he's missing games late in the year. He's getting his hamstrings worked on on the sideline like half the games. Like, I think it's going to be more taking off on scrambles with the defense respecting their passing game, at least ideally uh, in their minds. Hey, Judah, what, what do you think about the kind of the Lamar Jackson Ravens uh, side of it? Because because I see your point. But again, I, I do think that there's like if you're just going into the past, leaning into the past, you are kind of taking away that that special ability that, that Lamar has. Right. Yeah. No, I also I also love your framing of it because I almost see it as like a two part parlay. Um, which is like first, right, start from the expectation, which is like what his career averages are, which is probably like around 31, 3,200. And now you have to project two things. Number one, like there's going to be an increase in volume, right? That they actually are going to pass the ball more, which as you, you're alluding to, like there are a bunch of uh, kind of issues with that. And then second, like you have no idea how efficient he's going to be. Uh, and if you're starting from kind of like two things that need to be true simultaneously in order for the bet to hit, uh, it leads me to to the under because if I think all the reasons you're you're outlining, uh, they're like there are a lot of question marks uh, surrounding the efficiency and like a totally changed offense is something we've never seen before. Uh, and if you're going to price in projection of probably like 300 yards, 400 yards more uh, than what we would have seen last year, I'm going to take the under there. Yeah, the, the health thing is also uh, interesting, right? Because um, you know the idea is that you're going to keep him healthy by not running him as much, but Brad, to your point, you know, do we, does he find a way to run no matter what? And, and I think that, that the answer is, it's gotta be yes. You just gotta get that guy on the move. Uh, but I like fields at two to one on that, in that market quite a bit. Um, before we move on to the new Hopkins stuff, quick reminder that uh, you can get a PFF plus subscription for 25% off promo code forecast F R E C A S T. You can get access to all of the unlocked fantasy and betting tools plus content uh, at PFF.com. Everything the PFF plus subscription can be yours. And if you get an annual subscription, you can get it all the way through into next season. So that will take you through fantasy draft betting and 
the NFL draft and free agency next year. So it is a great deal. Go get it before um, your fantasy season starts because you will want all of that great insight from Nathan Yaki to help you prepare, plus new fantasy tools that are coming your way as a PFF subscriber that you will not uh, want to miss out on. So go make that happen. Uh, also, join the PFF Printing Press Discord. I think we have made Judah at golf better, and we've made a lot of people WNBA betters because Ben Brown... Uh, who was on this podcast on Wednesday. It was a great podcast. If you did not listen to it, um, the man was absolutely on fire and has continued to be. And the WNBA is actually a really good sport. It's a great product. Um, and it's one that you can bet on. So uh, join the Printing Press Discord. The link is in the description, also in the tweet um, that we send out. And if you can't find it there, you can hit us up on Twitter and we'll throw it your way. Um, we are just a few shy of a thousand members of the Printing Press Discord. So join the 976 uh, fellow uh, listeners and avid bettors and um, get involved. It's a great way to uh, make sure that you're betting efficiently during the summer months and prepare for the NFL season. All right. Nuke uh, Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins released by the Cardinals kind of at long last. Um, Brad, is there anything noteworthy about the release at all? And, and if not, I guess, what are you hearing in terms of who is actually interested in him? Not just what, kind of NFL Twitter has decided should be interested in. Yeah, for sure. I, I do think it can be underrated sometimes that a team does not want to part with capital and pay pre-existing contracts. So there probably were teams that even if it sounds silly to say, oh, it's a fifth round pick and you have to bring in new Cupkins on his old deal versus now he might get signed for a deal that's still going to look pretty strong once it gets done, you might scoff at that and say, oh, there's no team that wasn't in before that is now in. Yes, there are. There are probably teams that were saying, if he's cut, we're, we're, we're going to check him out. Otherwise, we're all good. So uh, the reporting we have so far is Albert Breer put out the only teams that asked for permission to speak with DeAndre Hopkins when it was still more looking to a trade as opposed to anything else were the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. So kind of the two teams you're probably alluding to that that the Twitterverse has decided are the teams that are going to go after him. I'm sure others will enter the fold. I still think the Giants could be interested and a couple others if Hopkins is interested in going there. Um, but those two we know uh, actually express interest by reaching out to, to talk with him and my guess is they said will you take less money will you convert money to incentives will you move things around for us will you you know yada 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 um and, and based on what he said to those questions he is now cut and on the open market so um yeah i i think it's going to be a handful of teams to get involved here i would not be surprised if a couple door dark horses jump in the mix I believe he wants to contend, but I also I'm sure he wants to make some nice money and could go to a I mean, if you look at him, he's been on the Houston Texans and Arizona Cardinals, like even going to like a 500 football team for him would be a refreshing change uh, of scenery. Yeah, it definitely would be. I mean, I, I, we talked about the Chiefs a bunch. I, I just don't think that makes a, a ton of sense. I think the Bills makes a lot more sense to me and, and I feel like should be the odds on favorite. Um, the Jets, I think, are also uh, interesting. You mentioned the Giants as well. I've heard some people talk about the Dolphins. I don't think that makes a lot of sense um, based on the kind of receiver that you see them going after. Um, they obviously also have kind of three starting receivers um, right now as well. So I, I don't know. It, it's interesting. I do think that he's still got something left in the tank, but I'm curious your take on that, Judah. Like, does he make a difference for a contender, or is it actually, you know, is it something where you're going to be wasting resources on, um, on Hopkins? Yeah, this is actually a little preview into something I'm, I'm looking into just like the differences in man versus zone, uh, for certain types of receivers. Uh, mm -hmm. and the way I'm kind of thinking about it now is similar to, uh, like a starting pitcher in baseball, where when you start, uh, the guy's got hundred miles per hour on his fastball. He's got a nasty curveball. He's dominating, uh, on his stuff alone. I think that's kind of similar to man coverage. Just a guy who like on pure talent alone can win. And zone is kind of like a pitcher who reinvents himself. Uh, he learns the technique of pitching in the same way that you learn kind of the technique uh, of zone uh, and timing with a quarterback and kind of learning it more as an art than rather than just kind of winning on talent alone. Uh, and DeAndre Hopkins has not been a guy who's winning in man uh, over the last bunch of years. Uh, he's kind of been a good zone receiver and, and not much else. And in some of the preliminary research I've done, actually zone receivers age way better than man. Uh, kind of 
in some ways hinting to the prior I had, which is to say, like, I think DeAndre Hopkins has been good and will continue to be good because his skill set isn't really so age dependent. Uh, it's a more of a technique than rather than just like winning on his pure talent uh, in the sense of like his speed and his acceleration, his agility and such uh, and stuff of that sort. And he's been a great receiver. Like there's, there's no way around that. You can look at any of the efficiency metrics. He'll, he'll still be good. And I think that will remain true no matter uh, which team he lands with. That was a phenomenal yeah, analogy. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, George. I thought it was good. Uh, yeah. I was going to say that that is super interesting. Um, and, you know, you go back to 2020, which was the last time that he, he really performed well. And the drop off from 2020 to 2022, I think I'm doing this correctly in terms of PFF grade versus zone is 30 grade points uh, from 90.2 to 60.5. Um, which is, I, I think here, and I'll, I'll get this as we're talking about it, something that, you know, as you're speaking to Judah, right, is kind of a function of probably a couple of things. Um, and uh, yeah, it's dramatically worse than his drop-off in terms of, of uh, verse zone. So his drop-off verse zone, just an 83 PFF grade verse zone in 2020, 74.5. So a drop-off, but not nearly as big of a one um, when you look at the, the man coverage. I will also say this about him. I mean, the availability thing is one thing, but the other is just the type of offense that he's playing in where he was sequestered to the outside. And I think a guy like Hopkins, to your point, Judah, who's savvy enough to beat zone can be very well uh, utilized across the field and in different positions. And so that would be an area that, you know, I would be looking to to kind of leverage him. Um, I guess, Brad, like, that's nice to say, and we I think can agree that he has some value. But what's it going to cost for a guy that's a zone beater at this point? And so that's my thing, and I love the analogy because I do think it also ties into. It makes sense to me that the peaks are higher um, for the, these man beaters. Like they're, they're, I think their value is probably viewed in a in a higher regard. Like you're going to trade more for an AJ Brown, you're going to trade more for a, a Kerry Wood to go Cubs with it than you are than a, a Kyle Hendricks. Yeah. But Kyle Hendricks also is probably going to be a good pitcher for five years longer uh, than Kerry Wood is. So anyways, I'll bring this back to the football. This is not a baseball podcast, except for when Judah drops some Mariners gems. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I think it does. like it, It's a relevant and interesting data point um, because I do think teams don't view him the way they maybe did before. He, he's not quite that elite, elite guy anymore. He still has value, no question about it. And I come back to the Baltimore Ravens contract for Odell Beckham Jr. has to be a massive wrench in this entire thing. Because if Odell Beckham Jr. is getting one year, $15 million fully guaranteed with incentives, there's no reason Hopkins should take much less than that, if at all less than that. So uh, that I think is very complicated, very difficult. And I'm sure there are some teams that are annoyed by that because, like you said, yeah, he's missed a little bit of time here and there, suspensions, some small injuries. He didn't miss a whole season, uh, you know, coming off a second torn ACL. And, yeah, he's probably a year older than Odell Beckham Jr., if I had to guess. And, yes, I think Odell is probably a better separator against all types of coverage, um, you know, right now. But, but yeah, so I struggle to see him taking much less than that, but it is very, very late in the game. Um I think whatever he does take, it'll if it is a one year, which is my guess, um, it, it'll be pretty incentive laden. He'll try to hit, I think, ten million, and then be juiced that up pretty significantly with incentives. Um, but yeah, that that Odell contract is, is not helping the teams trying to get in the mix here. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, so he's there's no way he's taking less than Odell, right? Like, no chance. That, so that's my thing. I like it's hard to imagine. Like, or like I said, or you take a little less in base value, but let's say your incentives push you to 25 instead of pushing you to you know up to 18 from 15. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, final. Let's let's make a pick here. Who do we think New Hopkins plays for uh, in 2023? Judah got the Bills. Me think, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm going Bills as well. Uh, that that was my that was my thought. Um, I'll, I'll give it a, a dark horse here. I, I do think that um, uh, that a dark horse is not the Chiefs. I don't I don't think it's the Chiefs. Um, I'll say uh, I'll say the Jets. Uh, I don't know why. I'll just throw them out there. Uh, but I think it's the Bills. No, real quick on that. Before you move on, before you move on, I don't mind that at all because I think the thinking there would be they have Corey Davis on the roster. He's owed $10.5 million in salary. They could get out of that with six figures of dead cap. I actually think it's not a bad guess at all. If Rodgers says, 
What are we doing here? If we're going to do this, let's do it. All due respect to Corey Davis. Cut him. Go sign DeAndre Hopkins. It could probably probably be cap neutral. Um, and, you know, of course, cash matters more, but wouldn't be dramatically different. The Jets is not a bad guess. Well, the, the reason that, I mean, I think it makes sense from that perspective, but I was also thinking of it as who would be incentivized to keep him from the Bills. So, like, I think yep. the Chiefs could be incentivized, certainly, but, like, like anyone in their own division is going to be more incentivized. So if they can say, hey, we can kill two birds with one stone, like the last thing we want to do is be like, nah, we don't want the new Hopkins. Then he goes to the bills and then he makes a crucial catch against us and, you know, kicks us out yeah. of the division or whatever it is like that would be horrible. So uh, I think it makes sense from, from that perspective uh, more so for the, for the uh, jets than it does uh, for the chiefs. Um, all right, let's get to uh, the NBA finals game. Seven is tonight tips off in about 25 minutes uh, after we are speaking here. Um, I have been ice cold um, with the NBA since uh, since the since the Jimmy Butler timeout sign. I think uh, as as you and me as well. Um, I also think the Gabe Vincent uh, thing for the Heat was was a real issue. Obviously, if Jimmy and Bam play like even moderately well, they they probably win that game in Game Six. But here we are in Game Seven. Uh, I believe it is now a seven and a half point spread for the Boston Celtics. I believe it opened eight eight and a half, so it's come down a little bit. Um, obviously they've won three in a row. So that combined with the fact that they are the better team, ESPN analytics have them 97% to win the series. Um, those people, I must be just overjoyed with, uh, with what they might, might be seeing here in a few minutes. Um, but, um, kind of real quick, I guess, Brad, where's your head at? What are you betting for this game? And then any like kind of finals thoughts based on what you're thinking about for this game? Yeah, so it is interesting. First of all, you mentioned the Gabe Vincent. Malcolm Brogdon what, did not play last game, may have not played in game five either. I'm not sure if he's even going tonight. Uh, that's a six-man of the year uh, on a obviously good roster. But um, nevertheless, I think pregame I am going to take some heat. Uh, I, I took it at eight, but I, I would not be surprised if that turns out to be either a bad bet or, or something that I can't escape. Like I'm almost waiting for me. They go on a run early and then I try to live bet Celtics and, and maybe middle a little bit or, or, or do something um, with the under and, and do something correlated there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like, I think the Boston's going to win and I wouldn't be surprised if they cover. I just wanted to, my early exposure was heat. And then I'm planning on seeing if I can get a good live angle back on the Celtics. A little Scott Foster and Tony brothers helping you out there. I don't know <laughs> exactly. if I can, uh, Scott Foster and Tony brothers, basically are heat killers. Um, I think that, uh, heat are two and 13 against Scott Foster, ATS, um, or something like that, or the Celtics, uh, are 13 to it, it's something like that. I'll look up the stat here in a second. Judah, I, I do have a question for you on this though. Do you pay attention to the officiating stuff? I've been thinking about it a lot from a football perspective, especially with regard to like props and, and how we might take advantage of that. Um, but because I think it's harder from like a overall game outcome to do so. But curious if you believe that is just complete noise and baloney or if there's something to be um, assessed there. I think I'm, I'm somewhere in between uh, in that, like all the, the reasons you'd think it's complete baloney, that it's a small sample size are true. But if you mm -hmm. like think about it conceptually, like these are human beings refereeing games. There could absolutely be biases, especially with the way the NBA is played. Uh, which is like, if you can't get in the heat, were, this was their game plan in the second half, which is like, if you can't generate offense, let's just like run into a guy uh, and try and draw a foul. Mm -hmm. It's like almost prone to allow for uh, a referee to basically decide the, the game because that was their offense. They weren't trying to, you know, uh, generate ball movement to, to create open shots. Uh, in that sense, like, yeah, I think it does matter because like these tendencies over, uh, it's not, two games or three games or 15 games, like you probably want to pay a little bit uh, of attention to it. Here it is. So heat games officiated by Scott Foster last two seasons, three and 12 against the spread two and 13 straight up Celtics are 11 and three ATS in the playoffs. Scott Foster is the lead official since 2020. This is per Evan Abrams. I believe he's with, uh, with bet labs. Um, it's a little, it's, it's tough. It's why we talk about like trends being such a dangerous thing and, and generally a thing that you want to avoid like the plague because it's very easy to fall into the trap of, Oh yeah. Like how could this not be something that's for sure going to continue? But like, there's so many different ways to kind of data mine these sorts of things. Robbie Greer wrote a great piece that I, I tweeted out a few weeks ago about this. And often you can find these things if you look hard enough, 
but underlying it is, is generally a lot of baloney. Um, so, you know, I mean, you look at the, the heat, for example, like they were terrible against the spread this entire season. So, you know, maybe you split that out and like that, like it, they were just bad against the spread this season. There's nothing new with Scott Foster, right. Um, they just didn't do well. Um, it, it, and the Celtics are a good team. So like them winning against the spread is not like a totally ridiculous thing. Um, and, and is not necessarily statistically significant. So I think it is interesting, but all the points you made Judah are tough because it is like a human being. And I also think there's just ways that teams play ways that coaches get on refs, players get on refs. That is like hard to ignore, man. I really do think it's tough. Um, especially in the NBA where everyone whines after every single call. I mean, it is like brutal and these guys are like in your face. So I know that they're professional, but I would say it's almost like a subconscious thing where you're like, I can't, I'm so tired of this team. I'm, you know, the, the whistle ends up getting blown. I think the only way to actually factor of refs into a sport, into a bet, I do this for the NFL, the ATS stuff I ignore. I think it's noise. And, and I, I tested it years ago. When I was in college. I looked at it more so stylistically. Are they a guy who call, calls a lot of, uh, you know, pass interference? So are we going to get some big mm-hmm. chunk gains like, oh, or NBA? This guy calls a lot of charges or like, I think that's the only way you can do it uh, personally. Yeah. If you get like a, I think of that as well, right? So you get certain types of proclivity with a referee to call certain types of calls over expectation. That's the other thing you have to adjust for expectation and then look at a team that also draws those over expectation. Right. I think that's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. Right. There's a, you know, think about Joe Flacco, right. It's like, Oh, he's going to throw it. No, for real. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No PI. I will point out that Arjun um, helped me bet the nuggets 10 to one. I want to say three months ago uh, to win the NBA finals. So I feel really good about that. I'm not placing like any additional bets on, on the finals because of that. Um, but I, you know, I think there's some interesting ways to, to consider it. I think the, it's going to be very, very tough for either of these teams to be uh, arrested Jokic, but curious, Brad, if there's anything that um, you're looking at from a finals perspective. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that scares me to come back to is just that the Celtics, I think, were second in defensive efficiency this year, and the Nuggets were outside the top 10. And there's, I think it's, I don't know, going back however long um, that a team, you know, has not won the finals when they're not a good defensive team. And and I do think, you know, Time Lord, Robert Williams, and Al Horford, and and what Celtics could do to rotate some bodies um, on Jokic could maybe work. I'm not sure Robert Williams would be the best, but I think Horford probably is a pretty strong matchup in terms of just an athlete, even though he's 40 years old, he does play a ton of minutes still right now. Um, that said, I mean, I, I think the Nuggets are definitely should be the favorite. And I'm not saying I'm betting the Celtics, but that does kind of scare me when you break it down a little bit. Um, and, and just in terms of, you know, again, I guess it's trends, but but defense matters a ton um, in, in these late NBA. I know it seems like it, it doesn't, but it really, really does uh, when, it, when it's crunch time in these NBA playoffs. That's a good point. Uh, Jude, anything on, uh, from your standpoint on the finals? I know that uh, it's not where you like to, to play, but I just, I'm curious. I got to ask. Um, no, I was going to say I only placed one bet this entire NBA. Uh, well, I had, I had a Lakers bet from, from April. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only bet I, I placed during the NBA finals uh, was the uh, Celtics plus 220 right before they hit the uh, the buzzer beater. So I, I got lucky there. Uh, and I think I'm, I'm just going to, uh, Play off here. Wait, you actually place that? I can. I, I can. I can pull it up on my phone. Uh, That's I, incredible. I, what was going I through got, your mind there? <laughs> what went through my mind there? Uh, it's like one possession. Uh, I felt like they'd get uh, Tatum a good shot. Goes to show. Um, like the, off the timeout, they got to be drawing up something, and uh, like probably had a better than fifty or even forty percent chance of uh, of going in. Uh, which is to say there there was no great thought process. Um no. I, I Marcus like Smart pulls the trigger and you're like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> I was yeah, no, right. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean so the quick. fact that, that White like knew to kind of run towards the basket there. He also did a great job like spacing out for like they could have thrown him the ball for a wide open three too. Um so a great play by him. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about this because I'm not a trained basketball eye, but to me, it was like, I, I saw a defender. I don't know who it was, uh, not following the trailing forward and instead watching, uh, the basket and like should have been an easy box out my off there. 
So it's funny because that's oh. what I think everyone's takeaway. But Spolstra, Spolstra himself said, I think the defender actually went to the corner, uh, like George. Like I, I think he went where he thought White was going to run, um, which Spolstra, maybe he's just saying this to be a good coach and protect him. But he did say like he was doing his job and like was doing what yeah. he was supposed to do. Uh, but it's a good It's a fair question, Judah. No, I, I tweeted this out because I, I thought it was so funny. Like every single youth basketball coach is going to come into their practice on <laughs> Tuesday or Wednesday and be like, see kids. Here's what you got to box out. Um, 100%. What they did, what they did with Max Struess, uh, former Chicago Bull, was they had him <laughs> um, face guard the face guard Tatum and keep him from getting the ball. So he was the inbound defender on Derek White. Derek White was the inbounder, and so when Tatum didn't get the ball, he had to get back to White, and so he was trailing White the whole way. And then White went to the basket. I actually thought Struess did an incredible job, almost blocked the, the putback. He was like, I mean, if he had, you know, a couple of more inches on his vertical, he might've actually blocked it. So I think the issue is more to do with, do you like what Spolster decided to do with that defender? Because it does open up now that inbounder. And, and with three seconds left, the inbounder is way more dangerous than with with two, right? Just because there's more that you can do. The inbounder can be open for a, a, a shot. Obviously, the putback was you know a secondary option. So um, I, I think it was more to do with the overall defensive strategy. And, and I think Spolster has been amazing. We'll see what he comes up with in, in Game Seven. So I'm not gonna you know knock on him. I, I think it's basically the one place that the, the shot could miss, right? Like literally the one place the shot could miss. And, yeah. you know, and you get unlucky there. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there was anyone else. I might have to watch the replay again. That could have theoretically boxed out white other than Struess. And Struess was just in a bad position because he had kept Tatum from getting the ball. And, and if remember, if, if that shot misses in any other direction and the heat win, we're lauding Spolstra because he, he made Marcus smart, take a three yep. instead of Jason Tatum because of that defensive scheme. So you know, that, that's the, that's the tricky thing. Um, so yeah, welcome, welcome to, uh, welcome to the PFF forecast, a basketball podcast. Um, we only got a few weeks of this left, so, uh, enjoy it. Um, that is our show. We'll be back on Wednesday, uh, at a normal time. Thank you so much for hanging out. We love you. Peace.